Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. That's Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on him. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Won't you pray with me? Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. This is a very popular event. This is what we know starts out our Passion or Holy Week. This is what even from the very beginning, First Apostles, we remember it's in every single gospel, this event. And people have fasted from as far as we can know from this, this day all the way until Holy Saturday. We call this Holy Week Passion Week, but it starts out with the triumphal entry. And 600 years after this event, um, just to contrast, 600 years after this event that was just read, Muhammad rode into Mecca on a war horse, war horse, surrounded by 400 mounted men, 10,000 foot soldiers, and those that greeted him were absorbed into his movement. And those that resisted him were either killed or enslaved. And he took Mecca and he became the people's religious, political, and military leader. And today, if you go to Topkapi Palace in Istanbul, Turkey, you will see that they would proudly display Muhammad's swords. And let's stop for a moment and just think about that. Think about that. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? He's like, no, no, no. But if we search in our hearts honestly, and this is a time for reflection and time for meditation and a time for deep, profound thinking, but it's honestly a time for the Holy Spirit to bring out our true hearts and natures, isn't it? So let's reflect a little bit. Isn't that what we want? If we search our hearts honestly, is it really Jesus that we cry out for? Is it really Jesus that we're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest? And you may respond immediately with, yes, yes, of course. Why else would I be here? Get on with it, pastor. But here's what we know. 
people receiving Jesus as their Messiah and prophet outside of, right outside Jerusalem were looking for an earthly ruler. Someone with power. Someone to heal them and their wounds and sicknesses. Think about that. Someone to give them prosperity. Someone to take away the injustice of Roman rule. You know, we give fanfare to people that have wealth, that have power, that have physical attractiveness. Think of who you follow on Instagram. Now, I'm mainly speaking about myself here, but think of who you follow on Instagram. Think of what images you yourself put on your social media. What kind of image do you want to portray in your online profile? What kind of images attract you and have you decide who you follow? Think about it. You know, let's be honest. Give me someone who's ripped, doing one-armed handstand push-ups on top of one World Trade Center, and I'm clicking follow while they're eating their protein bar that he's promoting. But think about it. Who are we really looking for? Who are we asking for? Is it really Jesus? You know, Jesus did not enter into Jerusalem on a war horse with 400 mounted horsemen, 10,000 foot soldiers, and I'm not just contrasting Muhammad. I'm talking about every other king and ruler that's out there that did the same. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey with 12 disciples. And people greeted him by waving palm branches. We call this Palm Sunday as well as Holy Sunday. Sure, but Palm Sunday. And palm branches are waved as a traditional sign of peace. Jesus came by invitation and not by force. He didn't come with a show of power, but he came in meekness. When people cried out, Hosanna, which means Savior or save us, you know what they did? They added Son of David. Hosanna, Son of David. You know when David, the king, if you're doing the Bible reading with us, David, when he was dying, he realized how God sets up rulers. He knew this as he was dying. And when they said, you got to put Solomon as king. This is in 1 Kings chapter 1. you got to put Solomon as king. And he... And he realized what he personally went through, who God was. And he realized it wasn't a show of power or force that someone's king in God's kingdom. But meekness, he sent Solomon to ride into the capital on a mule. Hosanna, son of David. This also fulfills the prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. In Zechariah chapter 9, there is this prophecy that states saying, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You got to read the next verse too, though. And in the next verse, God says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. There is a direct contrast laid out in Zechariah 9 between the one who rides in on the donkey and one who rides in on the war horse or chariot. And this has to make us wonder, 
not just who it is that we really want, who it is that we follow, not just on Instagram or social media, but in, in life, in what we're really looking for. Who do you respect? And in the previous chapter, Jesus gives us the reason why. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. To understand who Jesus is, Jesus himself says, the reason why I'm doing all these things, I don't want to show you. Before I go into Jerusalem, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's three things that he says here, three things that we'll go, th we'll go through. And number one is he calls himself the Son of Man. Number one point is Jesus is our God. Jesus is our God. The title Son of Man is not only used as a designation of humanity, but also as the messianic title. Daniel chapter 7, this is what it says about the Son of Man. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the Son of Man. He is the great Messiah. And this great Messiah chose to come. He chose to be born. This is what we are reciting in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. He chose to be born. How who among us can say that we were conceived or before we were conceived well, before we conceived anything. Who among us can say that? But Jesus, before he had flesh, he was. Think then what he had to lay aside to come. But he chose to be born, to come not in a way that you and I would, could or ever would be able to choose, but God eternal, the Father, Son, and Spirit, had a purpose before he laid the foundation of the world that the Son would be sent. This is how he can speak so confidently of his purpose and do the things in the manner that he does because Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is our God. Number two point, Jesus is our servant. You're like, whoa. Okay, I get the God part. This is something that I've heard in Sunday school ever since I was a kid. We're saying, Hosanna, he's saved, he's God, great. But Jesus himself says this, Jesus is our servant. He says, not to be served, but to serve. What we thought was the way the world worked wasn't it at all. Jesus' purpose here was delved in and founded in and saturated in great humility. You know, the word serve here is where we get the word deacon, diaconus. That's the word for serve. And you think about it. Jesus is saying he came to wait on tables. Jesus, the son of man, the son of God, the God of God, life from light. He came, what did he have to lay aside? But not just did he lay it aside, he came to serve tables. You know, we currently in CGS, we need deacons. We need a lot more. 
We got three amazing deacons who now have served two terms, and they're going to rest one, one year at least, according to our bylaws and what we want to continue on. And so our nominating committee is meeting after the service, and we need good deacons. We need to understand what deacons are. Deacons aren't, you know what? It's time you become a deacon, isn't it? That's not the conversation we have. That's not what we say when we choose deacons. You know what deacons is? The source comes here, from here. Jesus Christ himself, think of what he had to lay aside and say, this is my purpose. Not to be served, but to serve. That's your origin, deacons. You know, Nietzsche was so angry at Christianity because this was this is this is the core. He was so angry at Christianity, he called it a slave religion. Slave religion. And in his book, Antichrist, he calls he goes on to call it a curse, subterranean. And he says, in his words, this is an immortal blemish on the human race. Couldn't take it that people would go beneath their stations, lower themselves to serve someone else, saying, I'm going to lay down the power that I have so I can lift someone else up who's not necessarily deserving of that. So Jesus comes in to Jerusalem in the culture Roman culture was power hungry. If you had power, they respected you. Then they clicked follow on Instagram. That's who they respect. If, and then inside Roman culture was also Grecan Roman culture, but Greek culture. And the Greeks worshipped wisdom and knowledge. If you had something nice and profound to say, if you put on a little bit of a, you know, a little vid video, and then it says something profound, like, ooh, you know, we're meant to live out our truth. And like, oh, follow, and like, that kind of thing. But Jesus instead lifts up service and humility. Instead of the power-hungry Roman culture or the knowledge, wisdom, worshiping Greek culture, Jesus lifts up service and humility. And in our service to others... We want their benefit, even if it were to mean our sacrifice. Third point that he says, Jesus is our ransom. In his service and sacrifice for us, in his giving his life for us, he is our ransom. He purchased us through his blood and his death. His death pays the price to release us from our sin and bondage. You know, when you sin, you are enslaved to sin. That's what the Bible says. When you sin, you just can't help but to sin. In fact, a lot of us have Stockholm Syndrome, don't we? Don't I? It's not really that bad. I am a guy. I could do that. I'm human. I'm only human. Please, don't judge me. That's the kind of things that we say. And I'm realizing more and more, oh my, this Stockholm Syndrome is real. Instead of recognizing the true terror that sin pervades into not just myself, but the generations after me or the people next to me, we start accepting it and saying, yeah, 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 not bad. 
and we can't get away from it. But Jesus pays the price for our ransom. So instead of living in our bondage and our own self-centeredness, he gives us something worthy to worship. Because everyone who sins is a slave to sin, but he has bought us back. These three things Jesus says before he goes into Jerusalem. Number one, he is God. Number two, he is our servant. Number three, he is our ransom. And I would like it if we as a church would remember this going into Holy Week, into going Passion Week. It's called Passion because Passion is suffering. He knows that he's going to suffer, and he goes into it willingly. He knows what's going to happen. And you notice here, everybody's shouting and screaming, Hosanna, save us, Hosanna, save us, because there's nothing else they can do. And Jesus just walks in knowing that he's going to suffer and die. That's why Christians remember this week, and we remember it through fasting, prayer, and meditation. And this is why I would encourage you to do the same, to do the same. Remember this week, the fasting, prayer, and meditation. If you know this, Jesus is God. Jesus is a servant. Jesus is our ransom. Knowing this, knowing this Jesus will explain why he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey instead of a chariot or a war horse. Knowing this Jesus, knowing this Jesus helps us understand what true leadership is. We stop saying things to each other like it's about time you become a deacon in the church. No, what we say is he must increase and I must decrease. Knowing this, Jesus shows the price that Jesus paid for his church that he ransomed. What a priceless gift, undeserved, undeserved life that I have been given through Christ crucified. It's Jesus who cried out in prayer, not my will but yours be done. And through his life, it's the prayer he teaches us also to pray. You know, once we continue to think about it, once we really get this, once we get that as a church, guys, once we get that as a church, once we get that it's not about what is God's will and the emphasis on my life, on my life, but rather what's God's will for his church. Our prayers change our prayers change from, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Our, seriously, our prayers change from that. And it doesn't matter what language you speak. Because I grew up in a church and I remember, I, you know, when you're a kid, you copy. You copy stuff that you hear. And I thought the way you end a sentence in Korean prayer was, seriously, that's what I thought because that's what I keep on. And then, you know, I grew up thinking, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> but that, we change these prayers. Because what is it that we start praying is... How can I serve now as you serve Jesus? Not my will, but yours be done. I must decrease and you must increase in the church. Once we get this, it will drive us to a place of humility. 
And instead of standing on our own strength, instead of standing on our own strength, I got to do something great in my life. I do. You know what? People said, oh, man, you got potential. You could do something great in life. And I have this pressure. I need to do something great. I need to change the world. Instead of standing on our own strength, it's Abraham Lincoln who said, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. I talk a little bit about Martin Luther King Jr. a few times in the previous sermons that I speak on, but Martin Luther King Jr. had the kitchen experience, the kitchen tabletop experience when he felt like he had nothing left in him. And mind you, at that point, it was January 27, 1956, Bombs were coming in through the church and his home. They threw a bomb through his home. And they said, if you want to live, you better get out of here. And he had a 10-week-old daughter in the next room. He said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot stand on my own strength. And this is what he says. This is his words. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now... I am afraid the people are looking to me for leadership. And I, if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. And get this part. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. And after he prayed that prayer, he records in his book that he felt the quiet assurance of the Lord lift him up and give him strength. This was January 27, 1956. We remember Martin Luther King Jr. because he made this speech in oh, D.C., right? That I have a dream speech. That I have a dream speech was on August 28, 1963. Seven and a half years later, imagine if he stopped. And five years after that, he gave his final speech, I've Been to the Mountaintop, on April 3rd, 1968. And the, the day after, he was assassinated. We're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. And we remember his life, sure, because of the speeches he made, because of the changes that we saw happen through his leadership. But I want us to remember, before all this, January 27, 1956, this is what he said, I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. Once we get this It'll drive us to a place of humility instead of standing on our own strength, instead of wishing and dreaming, you know what? When I conquer the world, I'm going to go in in my chariot, in my golden horse. I'm going to flash my swords. I'm going to show people who's following me, 10,000 people behind me, 10 billion followers on Insta. And we will see 
of the true leaders of our world, our generation of history, have followed the one true God to get where they were. I'm going to paraphrase a quote from Spurgeon. And paraphrase, I'm going to, I mean, like, instead of saying, dost thou believeth, I'm changing it to, do you believe, okay? So, Spurgeon said this, do you believe? I believe, says one. And he begins to repeat what they call the Apostles' Creed. And he goes, hold your tongue, sir. That matters not. The devil believes that, perhaps more intelligently than you do. He believes and trembles. That kind of believing saves no man. You may believe the most orthodox creed in Christendom and perish. Do you trust? For that is the cream of the word believe. Do you trust in Jesus? Do you lean your whole weight upon him? This is the faith that saves faith that falls back into the arms of Jesus, a faith that drops from its own hanging place into those mighty arms. Do you trust in Jesus? You know, when we start off this holy week, we see that he comes in on a donkey on our invitation saying, we need you. We need you. But we may not even know what kind of need we have because we might be like, we need you to answer these problems we have, God. That's why I need you. That's not the kind of Savior you want. He will blow you away. Once he enters, once you invite him into your heart, he will stir things up. So once Jesus comes in, expect a stirring. In the synoptics, he flips over tables after he goes into Jerusalem. He curses fig trees. That poor fig tree. That's the first things that, that's, those are the first things that he does when he goes into Jerusalem. This week, as you meditate on the Lord's passion and suffering, expect a stirring. And finally, as we see that it is for the church, Jesus died and gave his life as ransom. CGS, expect a stirring. Jesus is God. And Jesus is our servant. And Jesus is our ransom. Hosanna in the highest. The highest praise belongs to him because he is a savior that we could have never imagined, never expected, never even like, oh my goodness, this is beyond my wildest imaginations. And he has become that for us. So Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time and we thank you that you would lay down what we couldn't even fathom or imagine, but you would lay down to come to us, humble on a donkey's back. And we ask God now that we would be people that would recognize our need for a Savior, our need for you, Jesus. So, Lord God, as we reflect and meditate on this Passion Week, Lord, may your Holy Spirit stir something inside of us, stir up in your church a passion for your name. Let's take this time to pray.
What is it that the Holy Spirit is stirring up inside of you? How much do you realize now the blood that was shed for you, the price that he paid? Let's reflect on it by giving him glory in our hearts and prayers, by asking God to give us the strength when we have no strength left, by leaning on him completely, putting our faith in the one that can truly save. Let's pray.